not even close. Good morning. All right, hey, good to be with you guys. Um, a couple of things I want to tell you. One is someone, this is very funny, let you all think this is funny. Someone last week saw that video and said, I've seen that video like three times already in this series. And we were like, yeah, this is, this is like just like the title sequence of a TV show. So if you've ever seen that, but this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to be all cool and hip and evidently we backfired badly. Like, yeah, we got it. We've seen the video before. I know it's like the beginning credits and nobody got it. It was like, we're just rolling a video we just think is awesome over and over again. So sorry if that's you. That was the reason we did that. Secondly is this, um, about, the, um, uh, about the, the, this Harvest Carnival. I have to, I mean, I think it's kind of, the idea is kind of lost on you guys. Just let me give you a sense of what's happening. This is a massive community event. Um, we had, you know, about a thousand people between our church and the volunteers at Viejo Elementary. Most of them were from here, from all ages of people who, when we went to do that beautification project there, some of you were there the weekend after Father's Day. It was a great event for our church. Um, but this should be two or three times that size. And so it'll be kids, it'll be families, it'll be the face painting, it'll be our super awesome band on, you know, playing live music with the inflatable things, with, you know, all ki- our high school ministries doing some kind of like maze. I mean, it's going to be unbelievably cool. So don't just think to yourself, oh, that's like a really fun thing. There'll be like 50 people. It'll be like a thousand people there, 2,000. It'll be enormous. So I just want you to know it's going to be very cool. And here's the deal. We're going to do, we, ha- we, th- we don't like, we, you know this, you guys know this, if you've been a part of our church, you know we do kind of like drives. Like we ask you to bring stuff to help us do things. You, and you, like, it's unbelievably fun to bring, like, you want to bring your people, like, your friends and stuff, bring them when we have a drive of stuff. Like, we're bringing, you know, grocery. We'll do that closer to Thanksgiving itself. We'll do grocery drive, and you'll just be mounds of stuff, and you'll be like, yeah, my church did this. You know, this is my bag I gave right here. This macaroni and cheese, I gave that. Whatever. And you're going to be all excited about it, and you should be. It's great. Here's what I want to do. We're going <laughs> to, one of the things we want to do at this Harvest Carnival thing is we want to make sure that everybody there can have a ton of sugar and candy, Okay. It is exactly one week before Halloween, and so here's what we want to do. I want to do like a candy drive. So here's the expectation, that when you're going shopping, we're only asking you to buy one thing or so, just buy an extra bag of really unhealthy stuff, throw it in your cart, and when your kids say, can I have that, say no, only if you go to the Harvest Carnival. Then you can have all you want, because the rules are off there, okay? So we're going to, I just, so you guys get, there's, you don't have, there's no insert in your bulletin about this, there's, you just have to know this, because you get the benefit of being here. Buy a lot of candy and bring it here and put it right out here, we'll, we'll have a space for it. You guys with me, does that make sense? Okay, some of you aren't sure about it. Some of you are like dentists. You're like, um, I'll just bring like a bag of broccoli. Okay, well, let me just tell you, if you want your car egged at the event, bring broccoli, all right? You're, hey, I brought a bag of apples for all the healthy children. <laughs> no one likes that. Bring unhealthy stuff. Are you guys with me? Bite-sized Snickers, Kit Kats, whatever it is, put them out there. You guys with me? Now you're with me. Okay, good. All right, it's going to be very cool. We are in this series. We're wrapping it up today called You Make the Call. It has been very, very cool to talk to some of you guys about what's been happening. My favorite people to talk to, by the way, are those of you who have been invited by some of our folks. Like if you're here and you got invited, I love talking to you guys. And you guys are usually the first people to sprint out the door in case someone tries to stop you and accost you with some like Holy Spirit moment of like, you know, hey, are you really sure about what you're, you know, like, and I know you're leaving fast. But those who do stay and talk to me, they've been so, here, just an affirmation to you guys. Um, for those who do, who do stay, here's what they say. I have, it's, this, is, this is my first time. Someone brought me. And let me tell you what I experienced. It, this is the warmest, most friendliest place I've ever been in my life. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good. That's almost as good as candy drive. I know. Right? And then what they say is, I've really had a great, I've had a great interaction with this, with this series. I never thought about stuff this way. To which, you know, you have to understand, uh, that sounds like I'm inflating myself. There's a whole bunch of people who work on this content. We work on it together with all the different campuses that Kim talked about. So I'm really, really excited when people say that because it means there's a lot of contribution that goes into this, what we, all the content we're talking about. 
But I'm really, really honored by that. And I just want you to know, those people, just for those of you who are, this is your home church, those people who are new don't even hear the content unless they get the experience of being warmly welcomed by you guys. So way to go. Um, let me tell you, um, as we go into the series, this is the last week of it. And um, it has been great. It's been very fun for me to prepare it and to think about it and be praying for you guys and be anticipating what's going to happen and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, my guess is that some of you have kind of encountered this series as we've been here. Maybe you've been coming, you started coming during the series and you're kind of, kind of investigating some stuff. Let me just, let me just tell you, I, I think today might be a day that's kind of a pivotal day if you're investigating Jesus, if you're investigating faith in on all of whatever that means, the church, all that stuff. Because I want to give you a chance, if you haven't already done so throughout the course of this series, or maybe you already have, but to step forward and go, this is a real big moment in my life and I'm choosing Jesus as, you know, more than just someone who's really neat and has some wonderful wisdom, but there's really a relationship that God wants to have with me through him. And that will be an opportunity later for, for you in the service. But I just want to let you know, if you've been kind of hemming and hawing about like, I don't know, should I really, what's Jesus about? I don't know, I'm sure about these people and all that stuff. And they give out sugary snacks to people, they're dangerous. I know. But if maybe that's you today. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to consider what God might be doing in your life that's bigger than just sort of attending a service that has really pleasant music and you can tolerate a message and then hang out with nice people. I, you know, I, maybe there's something God's doing. You know, as we talk about this series, we've been saying over and over again, this, this whole concept is that our lives are full of really difficult decisions. Every one of us faces weighty, important decisions. Whether we're a high school student or we're retired, it doesn't matter. Every one of us faces incredibly difficult decisions. And the decisions we're facing aren't simply based on, is this legal or is this illegal? And even if you're with us last week, it's not just a question of, is there nothing wrong with the decision? It's really, there's something else. We don't need to be smarter. We need something like wisdom. And so that's what we've been talking about. And there is no better collection of wisdom writing in the Bible. There's five books that are considered the wisdom books, but there's no better collection of wisdom writing than the book of Proverbs. And so it's framed as such that it's, a, the, it's addressed from a father to a son, helping his own son to discover how to live wisely. And here's just sort of been the banner verse for the whole series. It's this, Proverbs 1.5. It says this, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. And as we've been saying, you've heard us say this over and over and over again, is that guidance is a word that literally translates into the word steering. I mean, it's more literally translates steering, that our lives could be directed by the wise choices, by our own wisdom that we've gained. For, in other words, the course of our whole life could be changed by our wisdom. And so that's what we've been looking at. So as we get into this final part of this series, and next week we jump into Love Where You Live, which will be a great opportunity to bring friends as we get into that series. But why don't you do this? Let's pray together, and we'll get into today's message. Jesus, we are, uh, we are people who know trial. We have gone through trial. We are about to face trial. We know people who have been through trial. We are people who more often than not are not looking for massive, wild success. We're mostly, in a lot of, part of, in a lot of parts, parts of our lives, we're looking just to get through it, whatever it is. Jesus, we have varying degrees of trial we're facing right now. We love that we get to come to a place where there's celebration and joy because that's sort of the, the mark of the church is a celebration in, trial in the, celebration in the midst of trial. But Lord, we are people who need help getting through it, whatever it is. And some of us, the weight of the world is on our shoulders and we do not have any al other alternatives. We've exhausted every single thing we know. And so we need you. And so Lord, as we, um, as we start this last week of the series, as we wrap it up, Jesus, would you give to us in the stillness and the quietness of our own hearts in this moment that we pause each week, for just a few seconds, that you might speak to us about where it is in our life that we are trying to handle everything on our own. 
or we're running down and we maybe need some other help other than just ourselves. Would you point that out to us now, Lord? Jesus, we believe, even though it seems very difficult to even say sometimes, we believe, Jesus, that it is not merely us, that what you, what you intend to do in us and through us isn't simply getting through stuff. It's an ironic and beautiful victory over things that otherwise would trample us, because that's how you work, and we don't always understand it. But we, Jesus, need a victorious, powerful moment in our lives, not simply getting through, conquering. And it's not by our power, but by yours that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, um, this is the, like I said, it's the last week of the series. If you want to pull out your outline, I have to give you kind of a little asterisk as you pull this out. As your outline's in your bulletin. If you want to follow along, some of you I know are resistant to that and you just want to look at the screen, great. Some of you will want to follow along on whatever digital device you brought. We'll be jumping around a lot, so, um, but you can follow along in, you know, whatever Bible you brought. Um, but I want to tell you, the, um, the outline, I, you know, I, I wrote it, and then like last night, literally, I, I, I kind of rewrote the message around it a little bit, and mainly in the interest of time. So you're going to look at some things that will not be explained in there, and you're just going to have to be okay with mystery. There you go. All right? Um, so let me just do this real quick as you're kind of getting settled and all that kind of stuff. Let me ask you, just complete a couple of sentences for me. All right? Um, so the first one is this. You are, this is all wisdom your parents gave you. Maybe you are a parent, and you've given it to your, your own kids, things like this. Don't run with scissors. I was, yeah, or the wrong crowd. Either one's good, but scissors is what I was looking for. It's right, good. Um, if you can't say, can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Don't, <laughs> a lot of people have been said some mean things to, evidently, especially right here in this area. There's a lot of vo- voice there. So, okay, good. Um, let me think of another one. Um, uh, what was one of oh, if, it, be careful if you make that face because it. It might stay that way. Some of you are like, that's what happened to you, Hanja. I know. It's okay, you guys. Uh, let's see. And lastly, this one. This is the one that you probably have heard over and over again. You heard it all of your life, probably at some capacity and at different times. And it was something you still say and think about in your life. It still haunts you. It's this one thing right here. Are you ready? If at first you don't succeed. Try, try. <laughs> that trailed off. So awesome. Try, try again. Right? Now, that is, that's a phrase we hear all the time. It is probably, I would say, in my own estimation, it is the worst good advice you've ever gotten in your life. And you're like, well, wait a second. That's kind of like the spirit of America or something. Are you allowed to say that? That's not what we, I mean, do you, you, do you hate America? I mean, it's, it feels like it's something, some kind of part of our heritage. There's something about this idea about if we don't succeed, we should keep on trying. And I just want to give you a sense, though. There's something that's kind of problematic with that phrase that we keep using over and over again. Because if we really think about that phrase, that expression, where we end up with is very, very, very close to the definition of insanity. Right? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If at first you don't succeed, get up there and try it again. Try it, try it again. Keep trying. Do the same exact thing over and over again and expect something to change. We get this advice, we tell ourselves when we get knocked down, the best thing we could do is stand up and try the same thing over and over again until it works. 
And the trouble is, the most troubling thing about it is that sometimes very small exceptions to this, it actually does work. But for most of the time, it raises the question for us. What do you do when there's nothing else that you can do? Because every one of us has been in a scenario or a situation or a trial in which all we've tried everything we've got. And we've continued to try, and we don't know what else to do, and we're sort of in this place between where we started trying and started losing this battle, and continuing to go over and over and over again at the same thing, and finding no different results. And what do we do when there doesn't appear to be anything else that we can do? Well, I would say this. Say, let's consider something. The ant. What does every little boy do with ants? Burn them. It's like William Wallace and the king and the brave hearts, like burn it. Burn the whole veil, burn it. We just, ants, oh cool, get a magnifying glass, right? Every Every kid wants, but there's also something about ants. There is a part of all little boys, primarily, who want to just mess with them, right? If there's a nice little neat soldierly column of ants walking along, there's a need to like throw a stick in the way or drop like a little spit right in the middle of them and try to watch them scramble. Oh my gosh, stick, we're blind. And then they find their way back together over the course of a few minutes and they find their way. But nobody ever said, I just want you to get some, so look what the, the Bible's got some wisdom on this. Check out what it says in, in Proverbs 6. It'll be on the screen. It says this, go to the ant, or in some translations, consider the ant. We should put this on the screen now. On the screen right now. Please, that's the wrong one. Oh, we're jumping ahead. That's so wonderful. And there's another proverb. We go to Proverbs 6. We go, there we go. Go to the ant. So sometimes it says, consider the ant, you sluggard, which means you lazy person. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander or overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in the summer and gathers its food at the harvest. Now, admittedly, most of what this is talking about is don't waste your time and take care of stuff, but there's something unique about an ant. Um, I, we have a... We have a um, window that's right at the edge of our you know of our kitchen we have a you know so it goes into our garage and or i mean into our garage into our um into our backyard and um i have you ever noticed this that of all the animals that get trapped in the windowsill of your you know whatever window you're in it's never ants they're never ants who are like ah we tried to get out and we couldn't make it we just died right here but there's like a hundred flies it's the most disgusting collection of animal creatures. You're like, there's a billion flies here. And have you watched flies when they come inside your house and try to escape again? It isn't like they're like, wow, that didn't work. Let's find another way. Let's all work together and find our way around. They, bam, bam into the window. Oh, that window didn't work. You try and swat them. They're like, oh my gosh. And they just try harder to get out the window. And they're the epitome. They're the perfect example of if at first it doesn't, you don't succeed. Keep on trying until you die of exhaustion in the windowsill. You don't see ants there. Somehow ants, despite all of my childhood efforts to burn them with a magnifying glass, have managed to survive. And they don't get stuck in the windowsill. Even if one of their buddies like breaks a leg, the other guys like pick them up and walk them out. They don't get stuck in a windowsill. But flies do. If at first they don't succeed, they keep trying the same thing. There's something about ants that Bible is pointing us to, that maybe has some kind of insight about how we ought to live. Now, do you know anybody? Have you ever felt like, are you presently feeling like 
you're kind of an exhausted fly in the windowsill. I got nothing left. I'm going to die right here because the only thing I can do is keep doing what I've always known. And there doesn't seem to be any hope. And I'm just going to keep on trying to do the same exact thing over and over and over again. Because that's all I know. I've certainly been there in my own life. I've talked to some of you, people who are in our life groups, people who call and talk and want prayer from some of our elders when they're really feeling run down. They sound like people who are exhausted by the same set of circumstances they've faced over and over and over again. And they're faced with two options. When we have this kind of life, we can go, we, well, we can go insane, which is, you know, that's kind of noble. I mean, like, you know, I'm just going to keep on trying until I die. I guess. I mean, at least you have that sort of fighting spirit until you're dead. Or you have this other sense of it, which is like, I've tried this so many times, I have to just give up. And so I stop. And we end up in, either, we end up in the same place. Whether we die of exhaustion or we quit altogether, we end up either being insane, right, because of this continuing to try to do the same thing over and over again, or we end up quitting, giving up. And then... We find ourselves at the bottom of the windowsill in the most useless place. Now, I've been um, reading to my son, uh, my, my youngest son, who just now at six years old, he's like, wants to be read to. Before it was like, enough with the noise and the, and the face and the reading and the flipping, the, enough of that. But now he's like all about reading. He just wants to read everything. He's super excited about it. Right now we're reading through this like, Basically, it's like, a, it's like a children's version of a robot encyclopedia. You know, like there's like, it's just books on robots. Of, you know, it's written in like 1994, so it's like, and one day robots will have a CD player inside. It's like, so like, oh, it's great. You know, but he's just so excited about everything that we could think about, you know, about the great future that's ahead of us. But as I'm reading it, one of the books I, I found for him is a book that every, you know, high, sc- high school, college grad gets. You know, my aunt gave to me the, oh, the places you'll go, you know, by Dr. Seuss. And I'm reading it to my son. And now I, I graduated from high, from, you know, well, from high school years ago. And now uh, I, I'm, go, I'm revisiting this, this, this book. It's so interesting to read it to a six-year-old, not knowing what he's about to see in his life. But there's this moment in this book. It's, expl- it's all this great positive stuff about how you're going to go and conquer the universe. Now you're going to be all awesome and you're going to win. And then sometimes you won't, right? But it talks about how there's this most useless place. That once you stop winning and once you kind of re- encounter some trial you wind up in this most useless place called the waiting place. Here's what it says. It's on your outline too. It'll be on the screen, I hope. Not the, let's just have the, oh, well, who cares? Here we go. You, not that one. That's all right. Forget it. It's the one before that. Do you have another, it says Dr. Seuss at the top of the screen. It's the next slide. I'm looking at it. It's the next slide after that one. Oh, this is so fun. <laughs> it's the next slide after Proverbs. There it is. Put that on the screen. There it is. Okay. You can get so confused, you'll start into race, down long wiggled rows at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across a weirdish wild space, headed, I fear, toward a most useless place, the waiting place. Now wait, just leave that up there for a second. I know I've been a little tough on you up there. You're doing a great job. Coffee for you guys, free. I promise, I'll buy you one. <laughs> Those of you guys are new, it's like 100% free out there anyways, but I'm buying. Okay, <laughs> I want you to notice this. What it's saying is that stuff gets really hard. We encounter stuff that frustrates us. And then we end up, after trying and trying over and over and over again, we wind up at the bottom of the windowsill and we're just waiting there. Now go look at the picture from the book here, the next page. We have the picture. We've already shown it. There it is. 
look at, look at the description of these people. For people just waiting, waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. I'm still, I'm kind of losing that. I got that one kind of widow's peak happening. Everyone's just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for the wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for a Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. Look at this picture of people. This is a perfect depiction of people stuck in a windowsill. I have tried so hard. I have seen the window. Well, I guess I should, I have not seen the window. I've only experienced it on my face as I'm trying to fly out of it. And there doesn't seem to be any other options. And so all I can do is wait for the circumstances to change. I'll just wait. I'll just wait. And there's a really fine line between just waiting and being stuck. Where we find ourselves completely trapped in a place, we've lost heart, or we've lost everything else we've got, and we just simply are stuck. We call it waiting. We're waiting for a marriage to improve, we're waiting for a job to change, we're waiting for the doctor to give us different news, we're waiting for that person that we're around a lot to start changing. Until then, we'll just wait. We'll just stop everything. We'll wait for the window to open all the way so we won't have to know what's there. We'll wait. We'll just wait. And there's something in this kind of thinking. And every one of us in this room has this kind of thinking at some point of our life, in our lives. There's something in this kind of thinking that's hidden and it's destructive and it's always there. And it's the sense, this belief that we don't deserve whatever trial we're up against. There's a little part of us and every single one of us that goes, you know, this really isn't for, I, there are people who do deserve this in the world and I'm not one of them. And it's everything from traffic to marriage issues to school issues to family stuff to relationships to health issues. It's like, I don't deserve this. People do, but not me. And there's a little, that little tiny voice begins to grow in us until it becomes full-blown entitlement. I don't deserve this. I should have, I should, in fact, I deserve something different than this. And so we wind up with this, what am I supposed to do here? Because I don't, I don't deserve this. And every single one of us has said that phrase in some capacity or another. Why me? I don't deserve this. You know, the, sort of the waiting place sounds like it has these phrases. Maybe you've used them. I know I have. Maybe you've heard other people utilize these phrases. Things like this. In the waiting place, you hear words like, I'm done. I quit. I've had it. I'm over it. Now, in truth, is there anything inherently wrong about ever saying some of those things? No, because they're not, it's not necessarily a right or wrong scenario. But there's something here, though. Because for so many of us, the way that our world speaks to us is, you know, when things aren't working out, just quit. Yeah, marriage is getting tough. Quit it. I'm over it. I'm done with this marriage. This family, I'm just done with this family. I'm over it. I've had it. School. This life. This job. This illness. Whatever it is, we have a sense in our society that just says, let it go. Stop. Quit. If it didn't work, it's not your fault. The circumstances are bad. Give up. 
And that made the, and, and the truth is, like all these things that the world tells us, occasionally it's right, and so we believe that it must therefore always be right. And we watch other people give up on stuff, and we go, well, that must be what I'm supposed to do too. In my life now, you know, I've been married 15 years, and, you know, I have, thank you. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> but I have a lot of my friends who were at that same about same stage. Kids are about the same age. A bunch of us raising our friends, our, you know, raising our kids together, and our friends are all kind of in the same group together. And you're starting to watch, I'm starting to watch their marriages disintegrate. And they're saying phrases like, I'm done. I've had it. If that person would only, then everything would be fine. If I, if I, if I could be away from this person, everything would work out okay. And it's not just marriages, it's friendships, it's relationships, it's all the other things we're up against. Even the things that aren't, that are impersonal, things like illness. And we just want to go, I'm done, I just want to give up, I'm tired, I'm so tired. We're tired people. And we want to ask the question about why is this happening? Because we believe there's some great injustice that's been, that's been dealt to us, and maybe there has been. I'm not saying there hasn't been. Because there are injustices that we face. There's abuse, there's neglect. I, I don't ever want to minimize that. But is it also possible that that why is this happening kind of thing is a belief in entitlement to something else? You see, there's only there's, there's one person in the history of all humanity for whom they were completely entitled to avoid everything because of who they were. There's a person who could have said, you know what, (laughs) I don't want any of that to happen to me. I don't deserve it. I'm kind of a big deal around here. And that was never his story. It was Jesus. If any one person could have been entitled, it was him. Who could have said, you know what, I just don't, I don't deserve any of this. Everybody else does, but not me. We counter the story of Jesus in the book of Matthew. It says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Keep that on the screen for a second, please. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The word tempted actually in Greek is the word tested. You have the Jesus who has just been baptized. It's a great big moment. God descends on him. There's like the voice out loud, whatever that sounds like. Probably James Earl Jones. But it sounds like, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And everybody's like, wow, this is a big deal. And then, after this baptism moment, the great pivotal moment, this is the moment, this is like the marker, we've seen it before, we've done it on our stage after Easter, where people go, this is the marker of their life with Jesus, or their life with God. And then, he's driven out into the desert. Not by the devil. Put it back on the screen one more time. He's driven out into the, led, led by the Spirit. God himself leads him into the wilderness. For the purposes of being tested by the devil. Not, and he was accidentally, the, oh, it surprised the devil was there. Great spiritual moment in this person's life. This is the best decision. This is so great. People get baptized. There's Jesus, marks his ministry. The beginning of his ministry starts here. And immediately he's led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And here's then what happens. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter, the tester, the devil, came to him. Now, here's, I'm just going to really briefly go through this. On your outline, just in bullet points, but here, check this out. Here's what he was tempted in. Check this out. Jesus is hungry after 40 days of fasting. He says, tell the stones to become bread. Throw yourself down, and the angels will lift you up. 
the devil says, well, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just bow down to me. Now, these are all appeals to basic entitlement issues. I'm the son of God. Shouldn't I, I should be allowed to eat, shouldn't I? Yeah, you should. Go have something to eat. You're hungry. I'm the son of God. This is Jesus, of course. And the devil's going, if you throw yourself off the, the, you know, this hill here, this top of this tower, or this, you know, where the temple, people will catch you. I'll take you up to the top of the temple. I'll show you everything in all the world. You can have it all. These are all appeals to Jesus' right to entitlement. And to every single one of those things, he goes, that's not the way I'm doing it. That's not what God commanded. It's not how we're going to do this. There's some other way here. Now, here's the deal. This is a pivotal moment. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Here's what I want you to hear right now. If you hear anything, if this is the only thing you hear in this message, I want you to hear this. Is it possible that whatever God wants to do in your life, whatever that might be, cannot be accomplished without trial? Is it possible that whatever God wants to do in your life cannot be accomplished fully without trial, without some kind of, some kind of discomfort? Because we encounter a belief in our own expectation, within our own head, within our own heart, we believe that trial is from the devil and that comfort or ease or safety is always from God. Only look at what the devil is giving to Jesus. The offerings that Satan gives to Jesus are all comfort. Is it possible that what might take us away from the person God has intended us to become isn't, isn't trial, but comfort? It's the appeal to our entitlement, the things we deserve. We are a most entitled people, but God maybe wants to do something that cannot be accomplished in your life without trial. We have hard lives. And we're waiting, and we're struggling, and we're up against a lot. Jesus is tempted for 40 days. Tested. And he proves himself victorious over the most entitling kind of promises that the devil could give to him. And it is the beginning of his ministry. It's after this, he begins to proclaim the gospel. He starts healing people, and all kinds of stuff starts happening. Is it possible that God wants to do something in your life that cannot be done without trial? Here's what it says in James chapter 2, or chapter 1. It says this, verse 2. Consider it pure joy. Many of you have heard this, this before. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing, there's that word again, testing of your faith, produces perseverance. Now, many of us go, the benefit of the try, try again is that it produces perseverance, but perseverance in the Bible is not the end. Look at the next verse is. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. There is a work that God wants to do in your life, whether or not you know it. And somehow or another, James, who is the brother of Jesus, think about how awesome that is. He could brag about that, you know. Oh, really? You're one of the followers of Jesus? I'm his brother. <laughs> Never liked him growing up. I've got to tell you that. I kind of grew out of that. But I mean, I just went to, I'm his brother. He, I mean, he could brag about anything. Here's what he says. Consider it joy when you face trial so that you can get some perseverance. Not so, that, not so that you're just a tougher person, but so that you become a mature and complete person, not lacking anything. God intends to do something through the trial in your life. It doesn't mean you have to like every trial. It doesn't mean that every trial is, is something that's wonderful and you celebrate, even though that's what James is kind of trying to get us to. I'm not, there, I'm not there yet. It doesn't mean you have to welcome every trial. Jesus himself facing the cross on the night before he's crucified. 
goes to his father and goes, is there any other way we can do this? This is going to be pretty hard. Is there any other way we can do this? And yet he says, this is, God says to him, this is the way we have to accomplish what I've intended for you for the whole world. It is going to be very difficult, but I, I am using you to do something incredible. So we move from this place of insanity and waiting, and the waiting place to a different place, the shaping place, where God intends to do something in and through us, shaping us into something we are not yet. See, getting through it, whatever it is, requires something. This is throughout the entire scope of the Bible, beginning to end of the Bible. And the book of Isaiah is takes place about 700 B.C. You have these, these uh, this is right in between two invasions. The, the book of Isaiah kind of covers two giant takeovers of, of God's people. One is the Assyrians in uh, 722, and then later in 586 you have the Babylonians come in. So right in the middle of this, right around 700, you have Isaiah talking to the people. God's speaking through Isaiah to the people. And the people are making reparations of things that are broken down, and they're getting ready to be invaded again because that's the story of the ancient world. You're either at, in war or you're preparing for war. That's kind of the way it goes. The people are scattered. They're scared. And here's what they do. Here's what it says, Isaiah 22, verse 8. You looked in that day to the weapons in the palace of the forest. You saw that the walls of the city of David were broken through in many places, and you stored up water in the lower pool. You counted the buildings in Jerusalem and tore down houses to strengthen the wall. You built a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. This is all preparation for battle. It's all preparation, getting ready. It's all excitement about what's going to happen. You've done all these things is what God says. And then he says this most critical thing. But you did not look to the one, notice the one being capitalized here, you did not look to the one who made it or have regard for the one who planned it long ago. This is the picture of entitlement. The most entitled person says, I have everything I need. I have made all the preparations to live my life and I don't need anything else. And here's what's being said to God's own people. You've done everything except look to me. What you're saying is, I don't, we don't need you, God. We found our way and we don't need you. And it's only the most entitled person who says, I don't need God. I've got everything I need. Everything I've ever wanted is right here and it's all I need. And that is the, that is the, that is the essence of the life of a fly in a windowsill. I'm going to keep on trying. I'm not going to change my circumstance, so I'll wait for it to change, or I'll keep on trying. You know, in our life, we have this scenario in which we kind of get to a place in which we look at our own life and we go, well, the scenario isn't changing. I guess I'm supposed to wait. And maybe what God is saying to you, to all of us, is you don't get to change the circumstances, and you don't get to change the other person, and you don't get to change your family of origin, and you don't get to change a lot of stuff. The only thing you can change, or at least be open to the change about, is you. It's you. And I'll, give you I'll, I'll, I'll give you some insight into marriage counseling. Some of you, you know, I've been to marriage counseling. It's great. Some of you are like, you know, it's like I'm never going there until my marriage is a total tra train wreck. Okay, that's fine. I mean, you can wait till then. You could go earlier. We're kind of okay with people going to marriage counseling here, just so you know. 
But one of the things that you'll find, if you ever end up going to it, I do recommend that you go, is they'll say, you'll, this, is a, this is the great mind trick of all the sort of psychologists. What they do is this. It's really smart. They just go, tell me all the things that are upsetting you about this person. Oh, wow. And they write them all down. And you tell me all the things that are upsetting you about this person. They write them all down. And they go, here's what we're going to do. Here's our plan. We're going to deal with you first. That's the, that is the plan. And the person who's like saying this stuff is like, wait, what? No, they're the problem. And the other person's going, no, they're the problem. They're going, that may be true, but we're going to start with you. We're going to start with you. It's the same exact thing that's happening here in our own lives in a much bigger sense. We are facing difficult situations. We face difficult circumstances, and we do not often have the power to do much about them except to deal with us. And what we need in the middle of trial is not more willpower. It's not a new plan. It's not a clever acronym that helps us get through things. It's something else. It is literally the power of God in your life. It is literally the power of God in your life, in the person of Jesus. And some of you have been dancing around this idea of Jesus for such a long time. I like what he says. Not so sure about his fan club. You know, everybody's kind of a little bit of a nightmare. I'm not sure. You know, I I like Jesus, but you know. But you are the only thing that you, you can possibly change. And you can't even change it. You have to have God do it for you. That is the bizarre belief of Christians. Here's what it says in Romans 5. It says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, this means made right with God, through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, the way in which stuff changes, the way in which we're welcomed into God's family, isn't that we're all, I mean, it isn't that we're just born, like, oh, we're all part of God's family. No, you're born a spiritual orphan. And it is through Jesus that you are brought into his family. And it is through Jesus that your life begins to change in his power. It is through Jesus that the difficult things we face that are so incredibly overwhelming for us begin to take on shape and purpose, even though we don't understand them. Because persevering is not understanding the reasons why things happen. It is going through the things that happen. My buddy who has terminal cancer is at my house this this weekend, or this past week. Um, he's been, known him since I was in junior high school. We were both in each other's weddings. My wife and uh, his wife are great friends. They have four kids. We have three kids. And they're playing together. We're all playing together. And he goes, and he's the only person who can say this to me. Because everybody else, I just would like slap him. And I wouldn't slap him. I would, I'd want to. <laughs> but he goes, you know, he goes, you know, Jeff, like, sorrow is such a gift. I was like, huh, beat it. Leave. But then I'm like, well, he's got, he's got cancer. He can say whatever he wants. Sorrow is such a great gift, Jeff. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, he just goes, I don't know how to explain it. He goes, I have lamented so many things. I have been sorrowful for so much stuff that's happened in my life between, between cancer and everything else that's kind of gone on. And he just goes, it is such a gift. But it isn't the end. God does something in sorrow. And he's close to the brokenhearted. And he does something to make all of this stuff that we're up against, all of the trial, all of the windows we face, and the windowsills we're sitting in. And he does something. Look what it says. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, 
And hope does not put us, put us to shame or disappoint, as some translations say. You guys, God intends to do something in your life that cannot be accomplished with just greater comfort and greater access to the, you know, high occupancy vehicle lane or free refills at Starbucks or whatever. It's not just greater comfort. What God intends to do comes through this really beautiful, sorrowful challenge of perseverance. But you cannot do it on your own. We need either some miraculous change of our circumstances, which we are not in control over, or we need to change ourselves. And the only way that our life really gets changed, that the trajectory of our lives, the epitome of wisdom as we've talked throughout the whole time, that our life might be steered differently, is in the person of Jesus. Now, I know that you face trial. I don't have explanation for why everything happens. People ask me all the time, can you tell me why this is happening to my brother or my sister or why my marriage is doing this? I don't know the answer. In fact, I'm, really, I'm always real, like really scared of people who try to give me an answer. You know why that happened? You know why, you're, you know why your kid was in the hospital? It's, this is the reason why. Wow, I'm glad that God gave you that. I didn't get that. I just get to go through it, and I need God to help me get through it. Some of you, throughout this whole series, have been coming going, I'm not sure, I think I've got to take a step here. I don't know what it is, but I've got to take a step of faith. And in a minute, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. And then after we do that, we're going to celebrate with what all of the early church did as they gathered often, is that they would celebrate what God does together. And so, would you do this for just a moment? Would you close your eyes? Just in the, in the pause and the silence and the stillness of this moment, God may be tugging on your heart. God might be silently, voicelessly speaking to you in some way, and you're kind of like, is this my thoughts or is this God's? And, you know, you're not sure. But maybe God has been doing something, as we say so often, that God is sort of messing with you in some capacity. And it may not always be comfortable. It may be difficult. It may be a trial of some sort that you're facing. But God is messing with you, and he's saying, how much longer do you want to do this without me? In this room, if you're a person who goes, I don't know what I'm supposed to do about Jesus. I've been brought here. I don't know all of what I'm supposed to know. I don't know the Bible. I don't know how to say different Bible words, and I don't, I don't get it. But something about Jesus makes sense. If that's you, would you do the really most courageous thing and just put your hand in the air? Everybody's eyes are closed. It's just, it's just us just so I can see it. A couple of you for the first time going, I'm choosing Jesus. A couple of people for the first time going, look, I don't know where else to go. I'm choosing Jesus. Cool. see a couple of your guys' hands. Some of it's kind of dark. Anybody else? You go, man, I've just been kind of going to church and kind of playing the game, but I've never really actually committed my life to following Jesus. I'm tired of doing this on my own. Enough of this. I'm just going to put my hand in the air. See a couple other hands. Folks kind of making some tough decisions. I can't see everybody's hands a little dark. Now let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus, we, um, we so desperately need you. We pretend like we don't. We work hard to not need you. We're convinced of our ability. We believe in our own strength. We believe that we're capable of preparing for battle on our own. And more often than not, Jesus, we treat you like you are our distraction. But we, at the core of our being, we need you. Not because you are a clever teacher, but because you literally rewrite the direction of our, of our future. You steer our lives. So Lord Jesus, for those folks who raise their hands, we say this simple prayer, Lord, I give to you my life. I cannot do it on my own. I acknowledge that you know, because you are God, how my life should go. And so I turn my life over to you. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. But I know that the future has you at the center of it. So I will follow you. Jesus, that's a prayer of everybody in this room, whether or not it's our first time or in church or it's something we ought to pray every single day. And so, Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.